0: My name is Pastor Dan. I'm one of the pastors at Seven Mile Road. Um, I'm leading a church plant that is uh, launching in the spring in the city of Malden, reaching the people group uh, that makes up the city of Malden. And uh, if you're interested in that, if you want to talk about that, I would love to, to share about that. But today, this morning, we get to celebrate what God does in granting new life to people. It's one of my favorite Sundays in the life of Seven Mile Road, we get to come and as a family of God, just applaud what God does in granting new life in people. Not only that, we get to accomplish the mission of God today, right? In the Gospels, what do I mean by that? In the Gospels, uh, at the end of each of the Gospels, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And so today, we get to do this mission. We get to be a part of this mission. God calls the church at large, the universal church, to this mission. And here at 7 Mile Road, we are about that mission. And We boil it down to this. We say, at 7 Mile Road, we're all about Bostonians meeting Jesus. Whatever we have to do to make that happen, we are all in. We put all our chips on the table. We want to see Bostonians meet Jesus. Over and over again, we're hoping that stories like Paul's and Kelsey's and Bobby's and whoever God might just light up today, that those stories would happen over and over again. People being brought to new life. We want Bostonians meeting Jesus. So we're going to baptize in a moment, but right now we get to uh, do the other part of the Great Commission, which is teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And this morning God speaks to us out of Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. So if you have a Bible, just open up to there. Um, Before we start, let me just pray. Father, we are gathered and astounded that you would allow us to see your work, to see the uh, things that happen in somebody's heart in a visible way. And today we applaud you. We want to give you glory for bringing new life into people's souls. So God, I pray that under uh, the preaching of your word, that you would help us to root our identity in Christ, that we would know that in our baptisms, when Christ has changed us, that we are made new, that we stand firm with Christ on us. May you help us to believe that. In your name we pray, amen. All right, just to set us up a little bit, um, I know we're a church that doesn't like to clap in public, but I think we're a church that can at least raise our hands, I think. Uh, so, please participate with me um, because I'm going somewhere with this. There's a point to all this, all right? So, it's a show of hands. How many of you guys were born outside of Boston, uh, grew up outside of here, and, and just somehow landed here? Yeah, cool. How many of you guys are born and raised purebred Bostonians to the bone? Yeah. All right. How many of you guys... Um, grew up in a faithful, God-fearing, gospel-believing home that just raised you up? How many of you guys grew up just not knowing about the gospel, not knowing anything about Jesus, and somehow you landed here? Yeah, that's awesome. How many of you guys um, were were believers from the first day you could, like, speak, just before you can even know what happened? Yeah. How many of you guys... uh, Were just knocked off your horse maybe after the age of 20? 30? Yeah. How many of you guys were, um, how many of you guys are like right brained, creative, dreamers, visionaries? Only a couple, okay. How many of you guys are like left brained, logical, planners, pragmatists, practical? Some of you guys didn't raise your hand, so I don't know where you guys fit in. Participation. Um, How many of you guys um, are extroverts? How many of you guys are introverts? Wow. All right, interesting. Here's where I'm um, I'm going with this. What am I talking about? God can save anyone. God can save anyone anyone. There is a misconception that there is a particular type of person that is more prone to believe the gospel, right? Some, some people are, are, have a misconception of Christianity to believe that there is a certain type of nature and nurture that comes together that makes somebody predisposed to believe the gospel. But I think we just proved that wrong. There are a bunch of different people from a bunch of different backgrounds that have come alive to the gospel message. What we're doing here today, I just want to set it up a little bit. We are going to baptize some folks. There's a tank here full of water. This tank is here, we're going to uh, invite some people that already know that they're going to be baptized today, and hopefully there are some of you that didn't know that you're going to be baptized today, but God is just going to light you up, and you're going to come forward, and you're going to get dunked. Um, We're hoping that through this tank, people can display their profession of faith. Now, if this is all new to you, it's a little weird, right? Why would we walk up some people and get them wet publicly in front of everybody and sort of humiliate them? Why would we do that? Let me tell you what baptism is. Baptism is one of two sacraments in a faithful Bible-believing church. We celebrate baptism and the Lord's communion, the table. We're about to do that. We do that week in and week out. But today, we get to celebrate what God does in somebody's heart. When, when When somebody becomes a Christian, we use words like, uh, redeemed, rescued, um, born again, right? And all those words are true of somebody's experience when they become a Christian. Um, God grips somebody's heart. Jesus grips somebody's heart, changes their affections, and makes them new. Their identity is in Christ. Their joys are all wrapped up in Christ's Alone, And not only that, the Spirit of God comes and dwells inside somebody's hearts, taking residence in them. All of that happens invisibly. What baptism is, is the visible expression of that invisible work of God in you. Just by looking at me, you have no idea that I'm a huge Bulls fan, right? But if I was rocking my J's, and if I had a Bulls 5950 and I had my red you know, hoodie on, there's no doubting what's going on inside my heart. Like that, that's what baptism is. It's the outward expression of an inward reality. Right? Just like you rocking your wear for your sports allegiance, but a million times more amazing and more serious. Right? When you're uh, uh, supporting your sports team. You may or may not be a fan next year based on how they do. But with baptism, it's totally different. You're drawing a line in the sand, and you're saying, everything that I was about my former way of things, that's behind me. I'm now stepping into a new reality. Christ is mine, and I am Christ, and I am so down for whatever is coming up next. That's what we get to do today. Okay? Now, we already established that God can save anyone. And Paul, in the text that we're about to expound today, Paul established this from the get-go. He says, as many of you, as many of you, right? God can save as many of you, whatever background. The gospel is inc- incredibly Inclusive, no matter your background, no matter your age, no matter the size of your bank account, no matter your race or whatever, justification by faith, the gospel is yours, as many of you. Your past does not determine your future. Your legacy, uh, your your, um, history is not the same as your legacy, right? The gospel is radically inclusive in its offer for as many of you. Black, white, brown, yellow, blue, orange, whoever. As many of you, addicted, rehabbing, squeaky clean, creased khakis, whatever, as many of you, Extrovert, introvert, educated, uneducated, the offer of new life is yours. As many of you, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, male or female, as many of you, the offer of new life is yours. But here's the thing. Some of you are, are sitting there and you're like, yeah, yeah, I get that. That's, that sounds great. Um, but Pastor Dan, you don't know me. You don't know where I've been, my past history, what I've done, what I've said, how I've acted. God doesn't want a piece of this. What I've been sent to tell you, that you, could, you couldn't be farther from the truth. That God can save you. That his arm is not too short to save. That he is not too weak. Our God can save as many of you. But we're not talking about universalism here. We're not saying that you can go and do whatever you want and then, um, you know, everyone gets in on the boat and everyone gets to the same place. We're not talking about that. When Paul says as many of you, he uses a word in the original language, he uses hasoi. What that means is it's a pronoun. It's a pronoun that is X is like a collective uh, grouping. It distinguishes a group of people from another. He's basically saying this diverse body has a collective shared experience that sets them apart from another. Right, if I said all you sneakerheads, you guys know who I'm talking about, right? It's a diverse group of people that have a particular affinity towards shoes. Me being one of them. Paul says, there's a diverse group of people that share a commonality and a shared experience that sets them apart. What is that? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, while the gospel is radically inclusive in its offer, it is absolutely exclusive in its fulfillment. For as many of you as were baptized, Into Christ. When we're baptized into Christ, we share in everything that Christ has, okay? Everything. This is the beautiful doctrine of the union with Christ, and I would love to just teach on that forever, but we do not have time. We have to baptize some people. So, what that basically means is that when we get submerged in these waters, when we are underneath the waters, we die with Christ our sins our former way of life is put to death just like Christ died and if we could just hold you underneath the water for like 15 seconds just so that imagery can just set in we would do it but that would not be loving so we would not do that to you um but that's the reality you are united with Christ And as you're submerged underneath those waters, and as you come out of that water, you, united with Christ, raise up into new life with Jesus. You are united with him. For as many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Paul works his his logic in this one verse to this climax, You have put on Christ. This is where he was trying to get to. Paul's saying, hey, all of you guys, as many of you, from all different walks of life, have the shared collective experience of being baptized into Christ. That's not a work that you did yourself. God did that in you. Guess what happened in that work? God has clothed you with Christ. Christ. He's put Christ on you. He didn't just throw some J's on you, put a hat on you, throw a hoodie on you, and said, all right, you're on Team Jesus now because they're doing really good this season. He has eternally put Christ on you forever. He's put it on you. Whatever you had on the past, you've taken that off. They have replaced that and put Christ on you. You've thrown off your new self, uh, thrown off your old self, put on your new self Christ is now on you. That invincible suit of armor is now placed on you. You are now found in Jesus, just like him, wearing Christ. It's a picture of justification. You can stand before Christ, stand before God in Christ. Paul uses a clothing analogy, right? He uses it a bunch of times in his letters to the churches. And whenever he uses it, uh, he's talking about new life. So why does Paul use a clothing analogy when he talks about new life? What is it about clothing that makes this his go-to analogy when he's talking about new life, right? We need to mind that. What do we know about clothing? Clothing covers you, right? And thankfully so. It covers you. When your feet are just ferocious, right, and you're not about to air that out in public, what are you going to do? You're going to cover that junk up with socks and and encase that thing in shoes, right? You're covering up what you want to remain hidden, right? We cover up what we want want to remain hidden. And that's the story of humanity, All right? I want to take you back to Genesis from the beginning of humanity's story in Genesis chapter three, verse seven, Adam and Eve are in the garden and they've just sinned against God. They've broken one of his commandments. And in their sin, they experience shame. They realize that there's something wrong. That there's something wrong in this relationship and they feel exposed. They feel naked. So what they do is they grab a fig leaf that's next to them and they start sewing their own clothing to cover their guilt and shame for themselves. They want to hide underneath this covering because they want to maintain their innocence for themselves. Now, this is our natural response to sin. This is the story of all of us, right? When we sin, when we do something wrong, our natural inclination is to go do something to cover it up, to hide it, to maintain our own innocence. We go through great lengths to do that. We do, right? We have moralism. We do good to be good. We have legalism, right? We do more to get God. We have materialism. We buy more and have more and consume more to feel better, to feel good. Right? We just self-medicate our sin. We take covering to our own devices. We bring it upon ourselves to cover ourselves and to secure our innocence fast forward to genesis 3 15 god though works our innocence in a completely different way right he confronts adam he says adam you've sinned against me and adam being himself he tries to cover himself again so he shifts his blame to to other people and tries to cover his uh sin and right there god could have killed and put to death adam Because just before he said, if you eat of that tree, if you do not obey my commandments, you shall surely die. So God had every right to put him to death. But instead, instead of smothering Adam with the death that he deserved, God covered Adam in a promise of life. Genesis 3.15, it's the first gospel. God promises to spare Adam's life by saying, hey, trust in me. Trust me. There is a son coming. Believe that I am sending a son who is going to fight the battle you should have fought, who's going to crush the head of Satan when you should have done that. And he's going to do it in your place because you have failed to do so. And to symbolize what God was doing in sparing their lives and covering humanity in God's promise, what God does is he takes animal skins and he clothes Adam and Eve. This happens in Genesis 3.21. So I don't want you to miss the sequence of events here. Genesis 3.15, the promise of God to humanity. Genesis 3.21, the seal or the sign of that promise Working itself out. The invisible promise precedes the visible sign, right? The invisible work of God first, and then the visible work of God second. Now, I also don't want you to miss this part. The one who performs the covering makes all the difference in the world. Adam tried to cover his sin, right? Adam took some fig leaves, sewed it for himself, and came into the garden and tried to cover his own sin. But do you guys remember when God re entered that garden? He was looking for Adam. He could be found nowhere. Adam basically buried himself behind a bush because he knew that if he was found out, he was just as good as dead. Remember that? But when God clothes Adam, when God covers Adam, Adam's sin. Adam lives freely. Not only that, he bears fruit and he multiplies. He has children. He has an abundant life. He's not cowering behind a bush near death. He is free to live. Now, guess who performs the action in Galatians 3, 27? Guess who the hero of the story is? God. The verb for put on Christ, that verb is in a middle voice. It's a passive voice. God is the actor. You are the recipient. You receive the covering. That middle voice has a special nuance to it. When Paul uses it, he's trying to highlight what's happening to you. He's saying, you have put on Christ. Christ has been put on you All the realities of that, he wants to highlight what's happening in your heart. So Seven Mile Road, when Christ has been put on you, your sins are completely covered in Christ. Your clothes, like your clothes cover you, Jesus has covered you completely. He has covered the dead of your sin. You are now found in Christ. You don't have to hide anymore. You can now stand free before God. Stand justified. What else do we know about clothing? Clothing changes your status. Right? Clothing changes your status. Being clothed in Christ, having Christ put on you, means you are changed in an instant. Your station, your position, your walk in life, your identity is changed forever. There are 313 million people in this country And you are just one citizen among them, right? But if you enlist into the army and you put on that camel, you have now immediately raised your status from civilian to uh, military personnel, right? That's exactly what happens here when Christ has been put on you. In ancient cultures, um, when the father was ready to share his inheritance with his son, when he was ready to just bestow on him everything that he had, uh, what he would do was give to the son his most prized possession. Usually it was a robe or a coat uh, of incredible value. What he would do is take his son uh, and get this robe and this coat and just wrap his son around it. And what that would signify is this son has now immediately been elevated. He shares in everything that the Father has. He is now an heir. In Luke 15, Jesus takes this w- very well known rite and he tells a story about a, a young boy. He says, uh, This youngest son in a family um, prematurely goes to his father and says, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. I want what you're going to give me right now. And the father says, all right, in love, he gives his share to the son. And the son, wanting to just bounce right away from the house and just do his own thing, he bounces and goes far into a different country and just splurges on worldly things. Spends all his money. Finds himself hitting rock bottom. As he sees that he has now hit rock bottom, that he's among pigs in a pig pen, eating sloppy seconds. He makes up his mind. He says, all right, I'm going to go back. That's my only chance here. i got to go back to my father. But you know what? I I know that I don't deserve to be a son again because I just ruined it. I've just wasted it. I'm going to go back and ask that I be one of his hired servants. I'm going to ask that I make a livable wage and that my father... uh, have a you know make a room for me, and that I can go into the fields and, and do work just like all the other slaves in his household, and so the youngest son leaves and goes back to his father on his way there. The father sees him from far off and jets it straight to him and the son, seeing that his father's coming, he just gets on his knees in a humble position because he knows he 's about to just Ask him for the biggest favor of his life. Dad, just take me in as a servant. Please don't cast me away. But an amazing thing happens. When the father meets the son and the son's on his knees, the father doesn't let a word come out of the son's mouth. He picks him up and he says, Come bring some shoes. Put them on my son's feet. Put a ring on my son's finger. And that coat, that coat that I've been saving for him, bring it over here. Wrap my son in this coat. This is my son. Not a slave. Not a hired hand. He is to share in my inheritance. And he wanted the whole world to know that this son, despite, despite his lavish living, despite his uh, outrageous and hurtful actions. He is a son. He is not to be treated as a slave. This is the story of all of us. This is what happens when we're clothed with Christ. Your status is no longer slave to sin. You are now sons. Of God, you are immediately elevated. You were once eating sloppy seconds in a pig pen. But now you get to eat the juiciest steaks in the Father's mansion. You are a son. When you're clothed with Christ, you share in his inheritance. He changes you forever, and it starts right now. Right now. When the Father looks at you, when you have that coat on, when you have Christ on you, He can't help but to see his son whom he dearly loves. He can't help to love you and and affirm you and, and just hug you because he sees his son, the son he loves. So he loves you just like he loves his son. That's what's happening. When Christ has been put on you, you are a son of God right now. only one simple application that i want to draw out of this i want you guys to hear this live out your new identity live out your new identity be who you already are be who you already are right when a police officer gets suited right He just graduated the police academy. He gets suited in that ceremony with, um, I don't know what you call it, the the uniform, right? He, He gets suited in that ceremony. Is he a cop? Absolutely, he's a cop. At that point, he is a cop. He's learned all the basics of being a police officer, and he is now recognized officially as a member of the police force. But has he really learned everything there is to learn about being a cop? No. That's going to take years of experience, of, of being on the front lines, of protecting and serving the city and its citizens, uh, to learn about everything that comes with being a cop. When he, when in that graduation ceremony, when that cop is standing there with his uniform, with the crest, that shield on his chest, he is a cop. But from that day forward, he learns to be a cop. In the same way, when you get baptized, you are publicly proclaiming that you believe the elementary truths of the gospel. Your sin, Jesus' forgiveness, equals eternal life you are cleansed. Now, when you're baptized, are you a Christian? When you believe those truths, are you a Christian? Absolutely. You're a Christian. Yes. You have a new identity. Christ has birthed a new spirit in you. He has changed your affections. You find your identity holy in Jesus and you are wrapped up in everything that he is and he's called you to be. Yes, the spirit of God is in you. But from that day forward, you learn to live like a son you learn to live like a Christian because that's who you are you don't know everything but then you start stepping and you take steps towards Jesus let's say on the first day of uh, his full uh, first full day on his job the police officer right he's just nervous as, as can be he gets called to the scene of a shootout right he's the first one there he nervously pulls out his gun, and he's just shaking. He pulls it out. Let's say he says, hey, hey, you, hey, man, uh, I'm talking to you over there. Could, could you possibly, uh, yeah, yeah, you, could you possibly put down that gun maybe and uh, maybe just kick it towards me because that would just help me out a lot. I'm trying to just do my job, you know. Please, Maybe. No, that's not how you be a cop. That's not how you're, you're living like a cop. That's not how you walk like a cop and talk like a cop. Right? If that happened, what would the police chief do? Say, and come here. Sit down. Sit down. Tell me something. What are you wearing right now? Are you in your civilian clothes? Are you in your uniform? What are you wearing right now? That badge, is that yours? Did I give that to you? Did I entrust that to you? Because I think I did. I gave that to you because now you have all the authority to wield that gun and to protect and serve the city and to fight crime. Youngin, go and live out your new identity. Be who you already are. Christian, live out your new identity. Be who you already are. You are clothed in Christ. You are made brand new in Jesus. There's nothing more that you have to do to gain God's approval. It's been placed on you. It's yours in Christ. Now walk in that. Confident with steel in your back, knowing that you are Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, there's a really good reason why you're here today. You're to hear the gospel. And I've been, I've been praying for you. I've been praying that God would set you apart, would do something in your, in your soul maybe connect some dots that were just really fuzzy for a long time, and the Holy Spirit would just zero in on you and and make you new. If God has done that in you, I would pray that you would step out and make public what has been happening in private. Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, when, when when he meets people, when people meet Jesus and hear the gospel and believe the gospel, the first thing they do in obedience is to walk out in faith and get baptized. We have some water here. This is a great chance to walk out in faith in obedience to Jesus and his call. So we've been praying for you. If God has shown you that your sins are, are way worse than you can ever imagine, and that God's grace in covering you is way better than you can ever know. Then come forward. We're going to call the baptizees in a second, um, three of them, Paul, Kelsey, and Bobby. We're going to call them forward. They're going to go to the back. Uh, They're going to get changed into some amazing outfit or whatever, right? Uh, Just so that they can save their their good clothes. Um, And we're all, as a family of God, we're going to just celebrate together what's going to happen here as new believers finding new life in their hearts or professing it publicly and seeing that Christ has been put on them. And we're going to do that. But if you have never professed your faith in Christ, if you have never publicly done that, come. Come. We got T-shirts for you in the back, right? We got clothes for you to wear so that you don't ruin your nice clothes that you wore to church, right? We got towels for you. We got everything taken care of. We've made it easy for you, all right? So what we're about to do, if you guys can all stand up, please, everybody. Everybody. What we're about to do is we're going to baptize people. We're going to celebrate what we just talked about. People finding new life, dying with Christ, being risen again with Christ. And proclaiming that publicly with the body of Christ. Um, The people that are...